And Colton, you still sound like trash. Yeah, but that's not, but that has that's not my microphone's audio. problem. <laughs> yeah, that's honestly, Colton has this oddly like calming voice and wanting to like fall asleep. <laughs> that's that's yeah. how we get you. <laughs> <laughs> This is the Still Talking Podcast with Colton Zeno and myself, Brian. And today we have our good friends from GND Chillers. I always like to say that uh, this podcast is brought to you by GND, but we do not do paid interviews. So even though GND, our good friends, are sponsoring the podcast, they we do not do paid interviews. So guys, we're still going to do really, really shitty, dumb questions. So don't <laughs> expect a lot from this. And uh, I think you already kind of knew that. Yeah, wait, 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 wait a second, guys. Like we net zero from this, so if like someone wants to pay us to interview them, I don't know that I'm adverse to that. I know we might probably have to edit that, but uh, like, no, no, no. Just to be clear, everyone is fully aware that Zeno will sell out at a moment's notice. So that is definitely on all of our contracts. Uh, that is a separate agreement you will work out yeah. with Zeno. Yeah, if you guys want to pinch me in my nether regions for a set amount, I'm into it. Yeah. Interesting. It's not even yeah. a high amount. Do you, do you know that price? It's negotiable. <laughs> yeah. Low, I'm guessing, like five dollars, ten dollars. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> way low. It's it's way lower than you think, right? So <laughs> he's actually writing you a check right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he'll pay me. All yeah. right. So before we get too far into the interview, we always like to start with a little bit of news and information. So I have a couple state uh, state guild and legislative updates I thought would be worth pointing out. Uh, one is Pennsylvania Senate is introducing legislation expanding some consumer access to distilled spirits. Uh, essentially, it will increase the number of outlets permitted to sell spirits in Pennsylvania, which is pretty beneficial. The DISC has put out a press release on that, so it's worth noting. Is it going to still be like I know Pennsylvania, like Pittsburgh has that craft like pennsylvania distillery only stores and things like that is it going to be more of those or just more general yeah so essentially it it increases the number of spirits outlets by allowing existing off-premise licenses including grocery stores with our our licenses and beer retailers to immediately begin selling spirits it would also increase the overall number of wine and spirits outlets by contracting with private retailers in order to better compete with neighboring states wait did you make that all up or did you just read it because (laughs) i really appreciate that you think i am that intelligent savvy and able to recollect information that quickly no i read the hell out of that yeah the articulation of it was uncanny yeah thank you i really appreciate that (laughs) uh and then Right. As a follow up, North Carolina is also taking steps towards greater con- uh, consumer spirits shopping convenience. Uh, well, it's super inconvenient to buy spirits in North Carolina right now. So that is right. Good news. Right. So I, I believe this one's actually already passed. It's the legislation HB 91. Uh, actually, I believe it's in front of the legislator right now would allow local ABC boards to set retail days and hours of operation as they choose. Uh, so essentially, it would allow them to uh, be open seven days a week, which we've seen other states recently do that as well. Uh, I believe, Mina, let's see, what is that? Minnesota did that just last year or maybe the year before where they allowed S- Sunday uh, Sunday sales, which is a pretty big deal. It actually helps quite a bit. Yeah, when you said inconvenient, I'm just thinking like you have to go through a gauntlet of badgers <laughs> or something like that. Like. Like, what makes it so inconvenient? But hours and days makes way more sense. Yeah. Um, wait, wait. Actually, are there, is there like a massive amount of badgers that North Carolina is dealing with? Is that like an, a situation I'm not aware of? I feel like that should have been on my radar. That's the news segment next week. Yeah, I imagine that would be like the most inconvenient thing I could think of. Like, yeah, right, like I st- literally stepped away for three seconds and then you, you guys are talking about badgers. <laughs> That's the way this is going to go. So... Uh, <laughs> Booze badgers. Stay plugged in. It definitely doesn't get much better from here. Um, That's actually important, though, because, I mean, being from Pittsburgh, I haven't mentioned that on, like, you know, the last episode. Um, I remember when Pennsylvania allowed it for seven days a week and, like, the the liquor stores, because we have those there, being open on Sunday was a big deal. And I that, that is huge, so... 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the last one I've got from my own state here in Washington state, this one's a little interesting because it's actually a potential backfire on some legislation that would have been potentially helpful. Uh, it's the Senate Bill 5549, and the Washington Distillers Guild put it through, and it actually, I believe it passed, uh, let's see, it passed the Senate way, or yeah, it passed through the Senate ways, Senate Ways and Means Committee on its way to the Senate in Washington. Uh, and essentially it would, let me double check here, make sure I'm not giving BS here. It's basically, it's in an effort to attract more con- uh, customers uh, and allow a lot of rural distilleries to basically better compete by allowing them to have two additional offsite tasting rooms. Uh, which is pretty big deal here in Washington State because we have, especially on the wine side, like you get to the Walla Walla region, there's tons of, ta- you know, wine tasting tours. Uh, and in Seattle, especially on the west side of the state, spirits tours are starting to pick up steam too. So allowing rural uh, distillers to have a tasting room stay in Seattle would be massively beneficial to them. It would allow them essentially to stay in business. Uh, and they can also do mixed drinks now in Washington state as well. They've been able to do that for a while. So that was a really, really good thing. However, there was, uh, there was a last minute addition, uh, Senator, uh, Janine, uh, Darnell, basically included in the last minute a provision to eliminate miners in distilleries and tasting rooms. The big problem with that is a lot of the Washington state distilleries, especially in the rural rural areas, are family-owned. So it essentially means parents and owners could not bring their kids to work. You know, if they, you know, and that's actually quite common, common to have their kids, you know, while they're there doing their job, you know, it's, you know, this is a small family run, you know, in some cases, yeah, have farm your businesses. kids working in the field. That's why you need to have the kids. Yeah. <laughs> Damn straight. Somebody, the only reason. Yeah. Somebody has to feed the badger gauntlet. But. <laughs> so this is a quote from uh, Nathan Kaiser. He's on the board for the uh, Washington state distillery. Uh, he's at two bar spirits in Seattle. And his quote is most tasting room business in the state is from families who visit. Uh, the amendment is also so restrictive it would uh, it, it would not allow distillers, most of whom are mom and pop businesses, to bring their kids to work. If this amendment stays in, the guild will need to oppose the bill to protect the small distillers in the state. Our goal is uh, for simple parity within wineries and breweries across the state. So they'd actually have to oppose the bill that they put forward. So it's kind of a shit show right now. Well, that sounds like Washington. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's Washington for you. Well, uh, good news. When did we start doing a news segment? I, on I Monday. Like, this, is, this is all new to me. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the last episode we did, and you actually mentioned something about when the hell did we do a news section? <laughs> it's, it's great. I love it. It's good because I've made up 90% of the news. I'm just waiting to see which ones people notice. Huh. The Excellent. weekly segment where Zeno wonders where the news segment came from. <laughs> Man, Scott's got it so figured out. <laughs> All right. That ends our news and information section for the Still Talking Podcast, our irreverent industry podcast. Wow, that sounded super professional. I'm never doing that again. Uh, let's actually talk to some people who know what the hell they're, they're doing. Scott, Justin, tell us about yourself. Introduce yourself because we don't actually do that. I'm uh, Justin Thomas, president of G&D Chillers here in Eugene, Oregon. We've manufactured glycol chillers and for the craft beer, wine, and distilling industries. Scott Timms. I also work at G&D Chillers. I have an engineering background, and then I quit that world and became a brewer for a little while, and then decided uh, I liked making money, so... <laughs> I went back to the engineering world, and here I am selling things to brewers and distillers. What so. you're in the wrong place to make money on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. This is their opportunity to give back. Yeah, yeah this is a charity event. Now we, we we talked about it a little before we started recording, but you guys service more than just breweries, wineries, and distilleries. You've recently joined the cannabis industry. This is true. Um, I mean, so the alcohol industry has been our bread and butter for sure, but we've also done a lot of dairy and pharmaceutical and some, you know, industrial situations. And then more recently, um, the cannabis industry has definitely so tell me if you, started taking off. So if you can't answer this, I'll certain. understand and edit in an answer for you. Do they just bring <laughs> bag, trash bags full of money to you because they can't bank it anywhere? 
Not to us yet. What are you um, talking about? Because we've been selling <laughs> no, to. No, no, no. Okay, apparently, <laughs> apparently Justin's been getting tra- trash bags full of money. Justin, are you sitting on a beanbag chair filled with money right now? I have a very, I have a very serious question. Is there another way to transfer money from business to business? <laughs> cash is king. Trash bag, cash is king, baby. Trash bag filled with cash is my preferred method. Yeah, no, I, um, I didn't know there was another way. Luckily, luckily, we've been dealing mostly with technology providers at this point, so. They actually have businesses that the federal government allow to have um, bank accounts so we can just get paid via check or wire transfer. So by business provider, do you mean like consultants, uh, architecture firms? What do you mean by that? Well, it was technology provider. So it's more like, you know, they have a specific method of extracting goodness from a biomass. Mm -hmm. And then so then they're the ones that are getting people flying in on private planes and dropping millions of dollars in cash Bowling on them. Cash. Nice. Yeah. Do you guys think that that business is because you're geographically advantageous because you're in Eugene in a, in a state that is legal? Or do you think that there are other, I'm, I'm saying, do you have competition in this industry? I mean, there is, there are some people. Yeah, for sure. But um, as far as like being on the industrial side, like industrial size, there's not anybody yet. Uh, it's just a matter of time, honestly, because we're not reinventing the wheel. But but at the same time, like at, at this point, you know, we're kind of the main players. We think I don't know. Maybe there's somebody else out there that I don't know about. But um, as of right now, yeah, we're feeling happy about it. But who knows? Yeah, I mean, so I imagine what they're using it for is their condensers and their concentrates, right? So actually, the biggest the biggest load is so a lot of these ethanol extractors are wanting um, ethanol at minus 40 Fahrenheit or Celsius. That's where they're equal. Um, there's a little science for the <laughs> listeners. Um, one, one, one science. One so there wa- yeah. <laughs> one, that one listener, one science for yeah. one listener. So they're wanting ethanol at minus 40. So it, you know, in general, it tends to sit out overnight and kind of warm up to room temp. And then they want to extract first thing in the morning. So they're kind of like, pulling down from room temperature to minus 40 in 30 minutes or an hour or whatever. And that kind of tends to be the main load just because whenever you start getting at that low of a temperature, the um, refrigeration cycle gets less and less uh, efficient. So you guys are living the dream up in the distillery world. You're like, seriously, yeah. HVAC temperatures, what the fuck? Like, I guess that's that's a great segue into how, how do chillers work? I assume they're similar between whether or not you need to go to negative 40 or you know room temp yeah i mean justin can jump in with like the nitty-gritty of building a chiller but as far as like the physics of it you compress a gas and then condense it and then drop the pressure whenever you drop the pressure of a liquid it kind of it expands and gets cold and so all of a sudden it's colder than it could be with just like ambient temperatures and then you have refrigeration and it's just a close loop cycle. And between the two, I was going to say between the two, the, the low temp stuff that we're talking about on the cannabis side and, and then distilling, those are probably the two extremes of the spectrum, spectrum of what we do with beer and wine kind of being in the middle. So with beer and wine, you know, we're talking temperatures of 30 to 20 to 30 degree range for fermentation control and cold stabilization and, uh, you know, crashing your beer temps. And then obviously in the cannabis, we're talking this ultra low temp and then distilling is, you know, on the warmer side of things. So that would be kind of the spectrum of what we do is the higher medium temp stuff for a lot of the distilling and for your, your still cooling. And then, the, the medium to low temp stuff for fermentation control on beer and wine, and then this ultra low temp. But in general, the chiller in general is all uh, mechanically basically the same with little tweaks and nuances in the design. And then I guess, you know, I, I'm starting to see more and more cooling towers in the distilling world. Is that pretty much just distilling? Mm-hmm. And I assume, I assume breweries and wineries aren't using them quite as often. No, definitely not. I mean, so cooling towers have had a a major role in industrial 
cooling for a long time just because there are a lot of large-scale distillation columns that are doing a lot of like high temperature condensing and so as you guys know whenever you condense something that's a a lot of BTUs per hour to go from vapor to liquid. Um, and then I think that large-scale distillers have been using cooling towers for a long time. And then now the, the craft world is starting to get to a place where the uh, scale is at a spot where it makes sense to start thinking about um, using a cooling tower for the high-level loads, whether it be on the still condenser or on like a first level of, of mash cooker cooling. But yeah, more or less you're using in a cooling tower, you're using ambi- the relative humidity or unhumidity of air to, to cool things down. So it's pretty cheap because it's just a fan. It's a minimal water usage. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's basically like a, a packaged pond. I mean, you see some of these larger distilleries with cooling ponds out with aerated you know, fountains, it's yeah. not anything different other than it's just a mechanical uh, design of that. That is thing. the coolest Condense, Yeah, condenses ever. it in size. I'd like one package pond, please. <laughs> Damn it, Colton, no more puns. <laughs> a condensed yeah. pond. What is, so what's the... <laughs> cooling towers, a condensed what's pond. What's the scale where it's no longer worth it? Or, or what is the scale where it's worth it? You know, what's that sort of... I mean, it, it gets to a place where... One, it kind of matters where you are geographically because, you know, in the south, a, a cooling tower is not going to be able to do as much as it is. Because of the humidity. The humidity and the general heat in the south. I live in New Orleans. As I can it, vouch for that. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's hot as fuck. Yeah. You know yeah. that. Um, and so it, it can't do as much in the summer. So you're going to have to have this a larger chiller. So on a small a small scale distillery in the south – instead of it you're going to need a chiller either way um, a refrigeration cycle chiller either way so at some point it kind of doesn't make sense it, it it's hard to give yeah. an exact like cases per year breakdown of when that is but you know you kind of just look at whenever i'm sizing up a chiller for a, a distillery I, I more or less just kind of look at the size of the chiller and then all of a sudden if it looks like it's pretty big then i'll start looking at a cooling tower for the high level loads and kind of do an optimization. Yeah, on you, cost have to, you have to, to weigh the installation cost too, because there's some more installation costs and maintenance yeah. costs. And, you know, it, depending on if they're running continuously or if it's, you know, more of a once a week type run, if, you know, then it may not That's be. The other thing is, a lot of the times it, it does kind of come down to if you have a, a continuous still or doing multiple mash cools, you know, cooks a day then it makes sense to to have a, a cooling tower. Just if you're if you're not giving your chiller right. recovery time. Right. Oh no, I just was gonna that kind of leads in to like, okay, so you guys have built you guys have built these out for people and you're like, okay, this is good for a cooling tower or no, this a cooling tower isn't right for you. So like what are some of the pitfalls and do you find people are building them they're overbuilding their their cooling tower or the cooling capacity or under Building no, under def- <laughs> definitely, yeah. definitely under. Yeah. I mean, in general, to be to be frank, within this, the distilling industry, like I think people think about their stills and their mash cookers a lot, and that makes sense, right? Because those are the things that are are driving their business, and they tend to be the shiny copper pieces that they put in the window that consumers see um, and are marketing pieces. But then whenever it comes to like the actual, you know, how you're going to condense your product, how you're going to cool your product, it's kind of, it tends to be like a last minute thought amongst some of the newer folks. Maybe we need to start skinning our chillers in copper. (laughs) (laughs) There's copper galore on the inside of it. Maybe we just need to put clear skins on it. Copper clad the outside of it. There you go. Like, yeah, because they all sit outside. Yeah, yeah. It'll, so beautiful. Definitely, you know, definitely won't go green. It'll be a don't beautiful worry patina in no amount of time. <laughs> right, right. Hey, what do you guys think? Kind of speaking about distilleries underestimating their chilling needs, what are you seeing in terms of the turnaround for when they need to upscale? You know, when they come back to you and say, hey, we, we totally fucked this up. We need to double capacity, whatever it is. What's kind of the average turnaround? Are they coming to you after two years? after a year three years what are you seeing 
I mean, I think it's kind of hard to say because in general, the the lead like the lead time for distillery startups is pretty long. I mean, we see you know time between first quote to somebody and them actually pulling the trigger is maybe you know nine months to fifteen months easy. So um, it's it's hard to say because a lot of times they don't end up going with us, and that's and then and then we hear from them a year or two later. And they, you know, they realize they fucked up. <laughs> yeah, they realize they fucked up. Not necessarily because they didn't yeah, go with no. us, but just because they didn't size it appropriately. Yeah. Or, I mean, and to be frank, like a lot of times distillers have started off home distilling, which, you know, maybe they, you know, questionable if that exists in the world. I don't, I don't only know. Only in New Zealand. But, uh, yeah, only in New Zealand. But um, they start off home distilling, and so they're just running water through there, and it's super cheap, and they don't even need to think about it. And then whenever you start sizing up to, like, a industrial scale, you kind of just think, well, I can deal with city water, or I can deal with an X-size chiller because I calculated it on my own. And then it's fine for a little while because, you know, you have to grow your business and get to a place where you're selling product. And then once you're actually needing to turn out product, it becomes an issue at that point. I would say what I see a lot is, yeah, like kind of alluding to what Scott was saying is you see a lot of guys starting up, the, the chiller isn't in the cards, the awesome copper still is, and they start pumping city water and they get things going and they get things rolling. And then all of a sudden they realize they're getting five, $10,000 water bills. And then they come to us. So the chiller yeah. isn't even in the cards or even in the discussion and for whatever reason. And, you know, I think we're trying to help educate people to that fact, but when they start and then the amount of production that they figure for their, you know, their game plan to make money is X amount of product. So they're going to just start with that. And then they realize they got to pump a shitload of water and then they start dumping it down the drain and then they realize, Oh, this isn't working so well. So it's not like they're, they got the creek running through their backyard they can just tap into. And that's that's usually a lot of the times when we see people come to us. It's like, we got to fix this problem. Yeah, I mean, an unnamed distillery in, in Montana, um, I have a, a buddy that's in the kind of in the industry there. They had like a $100,000 water bill one month because they hadn't thought about it. And I think that they worked it out with the with the folks there but at the same time it's like that's an eye-opening situation for somebody nobody can manage a hundred thousand dollar water bill in a month i mean a lot of cases that's a lot of case sales what's your what's your average lead time looking at if they when they call you up and say hey this is the system we need in place what are you looking at for lead times i know it's probably dependent on the actual size yeah it's dependent on size but i mean a lot of the times, I would say long end on the distillery world is 12 weeks. And then so like the larger scale stuff, we can do 10 to 12 weeks. And then smaller scale stuff is four to six weeks, something in there. So what's the what's the fix when someone undersizes their chiller? Right. They did think about a chiller, but they, for some odd reason, decided they could do the math and ordered whatever size they thought. Oh, yeah. I mean, so if they bought it, yeah, if they bought it from us, we'll buy it back from them. And give oh, them the awesome. appropriate size thing, yeah. right? So, so like you know, at a, at you know, not we're not going to buy it back at retail because we need to resell it as a used chiller. But you know, we'll buy it back for an amount. That's I mean, whenever I worked at a brewery here in in Eugene, you know, it took us three or four years to outgrow our chiller, and G and D bought it back, and we were super stoked when it happened because we knew we needed to upgrade, and all of a sudden it wasn't going to cost nearly as much as we thought it was going to. So that was pretty exciting. So same situation within the distillery world. We'll, if it's our chiller, we'll buy it back. If it's somebody else's chiller, then, you know, kind of SOL, I suppose, from our side. Scott, talk about, I was going to I was gonna suggest like the, the, the story, you know, what we've kind of been doing lately is kind of the oversized, uh, our cold liquor tank, water storage tank. They kind of bridge the gap between maybe an undersized chiller and having that. Well, yeah. So a lot of a lot of the times, whenever I so I, I do the majority the majority of the distillery sizing stuff. Whenever I do it, it's like there's a chiller, there's a water there's a water tank that ends up warming up throughout the day, and then overnight the the chiller can like eat away at it. Um, so a lot of the times, to an extent, 
if you've undersized your chiller, I can just sell you a larger water tank after the fact too, and then we can get it to work. But that's kind of a band aid because sooner or later the chiller, the total BTUs over twenty four hours that the chiller can take out isn't the you know the same as what's being put into it. But you just need a giant water, and you got to have the space to place a forty thousand yeah. gallon water tank. It's got to be. In general, yeah. that needs to be inside yeah. too, because full disclosure, like that's what Colt and I have suggested on contracting work before, right? Because it's a simple solution that's like, okay, you can't replace your chiller, so the only thing you can do is right. like, well, here yeah. is this massive cold liquor tank that you can work within. It just kind of, uh, yeah. yeah, it is a band aid, and if you don't plan to expand much more than that, right, that works. Yeah, it works. but it works beyond that. Well you're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. Yeah. And I, I would say that's a big thing for like guys that are getting into it too, as we see is like, they've got this bitch in little location, brick building. It's beautiful. Lots of people walking by and they want to do freaking 500 gallons still in there. And then it's like, well, what about where are you going to put all this equipment? Where are you going to put this tank of water or where are you going to put this big ass chiller? And, and it, it completely goes by the wayside when they start thinking, you know, they've already bought the building and they're ready to rock and roll. And that's like, it ain't feasible. And that's a, that's a bad Yeah. I mean, there's been multiple times where in, in my short tenure here at, at G and D where like, there's somebody that's reached out and been like, I have exactly this space to put a water tank inside. And so then you start looking at available water tanks and you're like, well, nothing fits in that space. So you're kind of just fucked. I mean, like you need to think about this before, you build your space out. What is what is the most outrageous thing that somebody has asked for? <laughs> a gauntlet of badgers. Um, I mean, that's probably just. That's, that's, I think the badgers is the, definitely. Um, in my in my tenure here, it's been something as ridiculous as that. Like more or less, like somebody reaches out because they've they they have a certain a certain kitty of money, and they you know blew a big wad on the still and they blew a big wad on the mash cooker and then, you know, bought this super sweet historical building in a great town that's going to have a lot of foot traffic. (laughs) And then they have like $10 left to spend on a chilling solution. So buy them a a pack of ice. That's obviously (laughs) slightly hyperbolic, but yeah, yeah, more or less. Uh, I want (laughs) to piggyback on that question, actually. So like, what's the most creative, and it can be creative for efficiency or like, was there someone that was super environmental conscientious? Like, what is the most creative system? And it th- I mean, was it in brewing and distilling? Have you done any weird stuff like that? Like, you know, you're piggybacking. I didn't even know you guys did cooling tower systems. So uh, I'm learning, which happens often on this podcast. Um, <laughs> I do have that capability. Not many other capabilities, but that one I have. Um, I'm just saying that the more you know, start. <laughs> yeah. Swipe across the screen. Yeah, I was going with Joe um, and knowing his half battle. Exactly. Um, I I think you know there's been a lot of times where people have like large aquifers, especially in the distillery world. They have large aquifers that like are huge heat sinks, so you can more or less use that as an infinite amount of water, almost you know infinite, being hyperbolic, of course. But that's a big word. Hyperbolic. We'll edit that know, out. Sorry, I'll try to dumb it down. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I don't want to look. I don't want to look too smart. Just um, wait until I say something though, and you'll sound like ten times smarter. I would say, you know, one thing we haven't really touched on too is kind of ambient cooling, and you know, some of these colder locations where you can utilize the ambient and just a fluid cooler. So you got cooling tower, which is water and air and evaporation and then a whole different gamut would be like especially in the colder segments where you can't just run water through like a 10 degree night but you can run a water glycol solution and capitalize on that air so kind of we really try to like just look at all of those options and like scott was saying the regional thing or you know is different everywhere you go whether you're in a city or whether you're in a rural area whether you're in Arizona whether you're in Minnesota there's all those things to try to capitalize on and that's that's kind of what's fun about trying to be creative is capitalizing on those different regions and different uh, 
utilities that are available, I guess. So it's not it's not like hey, you need a you need a chiller, boom, done in the distilling side of things. There's a lot of different options and it really depends on where you're at. Hey Justin, I've noticed there's been quite a few changes in the distilling distilling industry, especially on the craft side over the last six years, as people have gotten a little more knowledgeable as, as the industry has kind of grown. What are the changes you've seen on your side over these last six to seven years? I would say definitely there's a, there's a higher level of knowledge for sure. I mean, there was a lot of, you know, fly by nighter guys. It was cool to get into it, but then they realized how much money it was going to take. So we were spending a tremendous amount of time with people on the phone, you know, and then t- engineering and just just 10,000 foot view talking and it just hours and hours and hours on the phone that we were happy to do. But it got to a point where we just couldn't keep up with it. And a lot of stuff never came of it. And now I think it was and it was just based on, you know, not enough education in the industry, really understanding what it was going to take. And now. I would say the phone calls that I take and probably forward on Scott. Um, <laughs> and, and Scott, I guess maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, there, there is still that, you know, educational thing where there's a lot of people that are surprised at what it's going to take, but I would say it's definitely improved tremendously over the last three or four years where people really they got their shit together they know there's more there's more forums out there there's more schooling out there they people are they getting into the industry seem to have a larger knowledge going forward not just about chilling but just you know are you going to run you know are you going to be continuous so you ask that question they didn't even know what the hell that meant or are you going to run are you going to cool your match and run a still at the same time are you going to you know is it going to be back to back they didn't even have a clue about a schedule or production or any of that. And now you can actually get these questions answered because we can't size a chiller without knowing that. So I would say the biggest change I've seen over the last three years, it would be, you know, a a higher level of uh, knowledge coming into the industry. So what you're saying is that the still talking podcast is single-handedly educated. (laughs) You guys, yeah, no, all you guys, a hundred percent. I think that might be the first positive thing I've said about the podcast. I quit. I'm quitting. I I just quit. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, That's great. Actually, that makes me pretty happy here because, you know, we always all need to be better. And I, I think we touched upon this, like that kind of same topic, but we skated around it when we were at uh, ADI with John, right? Like how when ADI, the conference first started, it was everyone's bright eyed, bushy tailed, and they're, you know, have no idea. And now those people are still there and still their intro, but there's all these other, like the, the elder group. There is an elder group now. Like, I mean, shit, how old is Corsair? 11 years, 12 years. Yeah. 11 years. Yeah. So, I mean, like there's people that have been out there now that are, that doesn't years. mean we know anything. Well, I, I'm fully aware based on your spirit that you don't. But yeah, no, in all seriousness, that's great to hear. And like, I think that helps you guys be more successful because people don't know what they don't know. Right. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's like, it's one of those things where like we've, we we've even put in a fair amount of work within the um, distillery education world to try to like help people be at a base level whenever they actually get to us to start talking to us. Cause it say it ends up, you know, yeah. saving us money. Like Justin was saying, we're just spending a lot of time trying to walk people through a certain situation. So well, you guys have done you know, webinars it, before, right? It's really, really helpful. You've done webinars and online education. Yeah. And, and, and we, uh, and we and we end up like going to specific like um, distillery educational situations and like trying to talk about you know like helping people through those like learn on the front end like these people that are just want to get super in. green inch entrepreneurs like trying to learn how to start a distillery like we'll go there and help talk to them to know what they need to know. That is great. That's a that's a noble fight. I will tell you that too. Yeah, and I think I think that, like you said too, that as more craft distilleries are out there, there's more 
people to lean on and go in, you know, and talk with owners and people that have gone through it, you know, before it was, you know, you're the big, the big players. You're not going to walk in and talk to the master distiller and ask them how the hell you make all this work. So now that there's more and more craft distillers out there, I think there's just a bigger network of people that, you know, similar to the craft brewing industry where they're pretty all, you know, willing to share the pitfalls and what not to do. So it's just a, it's a snowball effect and we're just getting more and more educated people. And with that comes more and more better, you know, better product. As yeah. Well. Yeah. No, I mean, that's a, that's so. a really valid point because we had, you know, for a while early on, there was a lot of conversations about really poor quality craft product kind of tanking the, the brand of craft and smaller producers around the country. I'm starting to hear a little bit less about that. It's still a concern, obviously, but that doesn't seem to be as big of a deal as it used to be because you've got people who've been, as Zeno said, you know, you've got, you know, craft guys with a decade of experience now putting out some good quality products, right. not yeah. counting the people on this podcast. <laughs> That's what happened in the nineties and the, you know, the first kind of wave of craft beer when it started out, you know, everybody got on this bandwagon that hit, you know, hit rock bottom because there was a lot of shit being made. And, and now, obviously, it's way different. But I think having those resources has really improved. And I think it's group. clear that great. both of those bubbles <laughs> were because no one knew how to chill properly. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, 100%. I mean, that's not hard. Heartbeat of the distillery. Yeah. 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 No, I mean... We like to say yeah. that in heart because it is, but, but it's the same, same goes for boilers. I mean, boiler, you know, all the utilities that go into it. I mean, the electricity, the, you know, electricity or electrical service and boilers and pumps. I mean, what size pump are you going to use? I don't know. I mean, it's just not chilling. It's all those, you know, utility things. What all type of based pump? Is that the non sexy Yeah, all things? the non Yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. Floor giant, you, I mean, from the, yeah. the distillery gonna, side, yeah. too. Oh, yeah. I mean, so from the brewery side, like you can never have too many floor drains, right? And I can only presume that that's the same. I mean, we we operate off just one shop vac, but (laughs) that's what Colton's learned after 11 years, of course. Yeah, get a second shop vac. He doesn't even have it plugged in, it just makes the sounds going around. (laughs) I'm working hard. beautiful it's terrible that's terrible all right so what do you guys you guys do convention seminars do you have anything you guys just finished uh cbc right uh do you have any other shows any any other trips this year yeah uh, i think we're well maybe a couple of cannabis I mean, shows coming up yeah i think i think that the majority of like the alcohol industry shows are kind of over because you guys are all thinking about producing a lot during the summer because that's when the upside is for most folks but definitely it seems like the cannabis shows pick up a little bit during the summer so how are, how are those how are schedule. those shows compared to the alcohol ones just as laid back i mean so like there's one specific one that is every year in in las vegas that is massive so i mean like CBC is bigger than ADI is bigger than ACSA, right? Like, but then this one specific show that I went to last year, um, in Las Vegas is like probably 25 to 30% larger than the CBC show. Um, so kind of big. I mean, I think that, I think there's a lot of like money, like it's kind of like a lot of people are talking about it as like this green gold rush, this green rush. So like you're, you know, you're seeing a lot of people thinking that this is the next place where there's a lot of margin to make. Yeah, money. I mean, Constellation <laughs> definitely doesn't feel that way well, after their <laughs> however many well, billion dollar investment. Well, that was a poor investment. Yeah, that one plays out. No, I think that's actually a really good point. That's we've been kind of on the, this industry side. We've talked for a while now about uh, cannabis being competition in terms of consumer but i think it's at least on the short term it's less about and even long term really it's less about the consumer competition because i think there's still plenty big pie for everyone there but it's more so about the new entrants you know people that would have maybe started this distillery or investors who would have thrown money at distilleries they're now refocusing and looking at cannabis potentially so you've kind of got that drain of mind share you know the new ideas the new innovation that's going to a different industry as opposed to distilling i personally see that as the biggest potential competition threat 
you know, in, in regards to cannabis. Just on the investment. Side. Investment and intellectual, you know, you know, innovation. You know, people are really, you know, you've got these new young savvy people who are excited. They're going into cannabis. Those ideas could have helped distilling, so to speak. Uh, I don't know how long that will last. I think we'll have a kind of an equalization of that over the next few years. But short term, I think we're going to get a little bit of a hit for that. Well, and did you see, I think it was, I think it was the discus report where they, they did some research on, you know, consumption of alcohol per capita in states that legalized over the past few years. Um, Washington and Oregon, I think were down, but by less than 1%. Yep. But Colorado consumption was up. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's what I was going to say is like, I, I think that there was this initial idea that it was going to take away from the alcohol industry, but at the same time, um, no, it no, I think you're right. I think some out. of those numbers, when they've dived into them a little bit deeper, I think maybe you could make an argument that they're digging a little more into the profits of, say, beer. Uh, there's maybe a bit more crossover in that consumer social consumption style, but spirits, it seems to have taken spirits and wine. It hasn't been as big of a hit. Yeah, and the other yeah. thing is like the what we're seeing as the big industry right. driver right now is CBD. It's not THC, right? So like people aren't getting high off of it. So like <laughs> you still need a buzz from somewhere. I mean, a lot of what, a lot of what the still talking side is saying is because that's what we do. Oh, right. We have absolutely zero facts, information, data, or even intellect behind any of them. Yeah. Yeah. However, I feel like you, I feel like you guys were bringing yeah. a lot of facts to the yes. just a minute ago. So, uh, yes, I tr- trust them implicitly. However, um, I know I, I brought it up on the. I think I brought it up on this podcast before. I don't know. I don't remember a conversation I had five minutes ago um, because I do a lot of CBD. Um, <laughs> do you just drink it? I just, like, <laughs> you just have a glass of CBD. Yeah, like, like, I mean, who does CBD? Like, yeah. yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't even know. How I, don't you know I brought up Keith Villa before, I think, who is his fame was Blue Moon and he developed Blue Moon and, and it's great. And he was working on his THC beer. Well, when we were in Colorado for ADI, I met up with my uncle who originally introduced me to Keith. And uh, he's like, yeah, his his beer, THC beer was recently released. So it was in it was in stores like as of the week that we were there and no, I think he did a THC one because he wanted to mimic, he wanted to mimic being high at the same rate you get as like drinking a blue moon, right? Like it's not legal. Yeah. I mean, why isn't it legal? THC is still a federally controlled. Yeah. So the, the TTB, which is a a federal, a federal uh, organization still thinks that TTB won't allow legal because it is federally. I mean, it's called, it's called Sierra. He's got it out. I mean, but there's sodas out there. There's this for everything else. Out there. Yeah. So, right. so anything, right. anything yeah. without alcohol, you can maybe talk about within a state to state situation. Uh, so then, let me let me respeak. Then okay. he did not. That makes sense. There wasn't alcohol involved in it. It's a it's uh, a beer. It's a beer. But as much as a beer is as a ginger beer, right? Yeah, like it's it's, it's called it's called Grain Wave. THC infused non-alcoholic craft non-alcoholic. beer, a okay. Belgian style sense. white. I don't know where he would have gotten that style from. Where did he get that? Yeah. <laughs> we'll hit we'll hit Colorado dispensaries in mid December. Yeah. And and it's so not, it's not like we're gonna get anyone in trouble by saying this because Google. there's no one at the TTB no. who would ever cut be caught dead with this podcast on any of their digital devices. So we're good. I'm pretty sure we're blocked <laughs> yeah. by any kind of federal agency. Uh, we can only hope. <laughs> Immediate firing. <laughs> if, if Keith Villa happens to hear this um i'm not even sorry man like uh yeah <laughs> that's great that's awesome colton zeno do you guys have any more like intelligent questions because i'm fresh out and i'm fresh out so i need to pour myself a drink uh, I, I ran out of those a while ago i never i never had intelligent questions but i did have one that was like if you guys didn't do this so like it's a really specific sect of the industry that you're in if you didn't do this what would you do so your engineers like what type of engineers are you and what would you do if you if you couldn't do this and i I, I, we all feel free to answer this question too like if we weren't doing whatever the hell it is that we do what would we do i mean for me personally scott speaking here um 
I I like producing stuff. So if I wasn't doing this, I'd be I'd be making something like making a product. And I I don't I know a little bit about distilling, but I know a, a lot more about brewing. So I'd probably be making beer somewhere personally. And what type of engineer are you, yeah. Scott? So I'm a chemical okay. engineer. Um, so is that the I'm, good? Is that the good type of engineer, Scott? <laughs> that's um, that's my type of engineer. I like that's the engineers that I like. I I like to think of it as the higher end of engineering. I mean, you have maybe maybe aerospace, which are what we call rocket scientists, above chemical engineers. But other than that, no. What about mechanical? <laughs> Oh, the bottom of the barrel for sure. <laughs> so I do have a saying that like Chris Beatty taught me that he was like, yeah, he's like chemists are scientists, chemical engineers are plumbers. That was not my words. Yeah. He's not wrong. I mean, so chemists do it on a bench scale and then chemical engineers do it on an Fair industrial enough. scale. Yeah. We go big. All right, so I'm giving you uh, this is your golden opportunity for dick jokes and filth and filth bag stories. Um, I feel like I just made one though. I just put some CBD oil in my dick. <laughs> I'm waiting to see what happens. <laughs> I love you specifically this saying this just- one. <laughs> yeah, thank you, thank you, <laughs> thank you for saying that yeah, I was just. Because God that. forbid you should sully Zeno's fucking <laughs> brand and reputation. I think that I think that you got the dick part of it right. Uh, the joke, okay, no, the joke we, is suspect, we laughed plenty uh, at it. It counts. <laughs> I, I feel like the joke part was on point because we all laughed. Uh, no, but so like you guys, like I mean, I I mean, trade shows. I, that's where I've met you. Like. So, like, give me a good trade show story. Like, what's your best trade show story? Because I know people get shit housed at trade Go shows. Ahead, I'm just Scott. saying. Go ahead, Scott. <laughs> Why are you well, saying you're I'm the just, one? You've done way more trade shows than me. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. There was a lot of pooping your pants jokes at the at the bar the other yeah, night. Yeah, I mean, you've definitely summed yeah. up the a lot of poop <laughs> yeah. jokes. Conventions are pretty lowbrow. We're a little yeah, brown. No, I don't know to how bad we can go. Uh, CBC. Oh, we rode skiers oh, last week. That was pretty cool. And almost ate shit off the curb. Yeah, that was fun. Got honked at yeah. and made fun of. <laughs> you look like a douchebag on the scooter, but you're having a great time. Hey. Yeah, I mean, I want to. What are the like the like the hoverboard things? I want to ride one of those so bad, but I hate, I hate how I'll look on it. Wait, do they? Oh, they we have look those? Like yeah, Zeno, yeah. you're one hoverboard away from hipster. Like, don't do it. Like, you're you're straddling the line. You're fine now, but oof, the second you step <laughs> on one of those, the beard, yeah, you're done. Wait, so the hoverboard is what's going to put me over the edge of hipster? Yep, that's that's specifically what I'm saying right now. It's the pocket <laughs> full of CBD oil and the uh, the the hoverboard. <laughs> It's just a dick tip full of CBD oil, not a pocket. I actually wear a CBD oil condom at all times. Jesus. All right, Dino, give us some final thoughts. (laughs) All right, that went way off the rails. Uh, Man, I'm really hating doing the grunt. It's like it was totally natural. It makes it so much better. Now it's so forced. (laughs) Now it's forced. (laughs) That was a good one. So... So the grunts, um, the grunts are when one. we're done with the conversation, and we have to all put in our final thoughts. <laughs> final thoughts. <laughs> uh, my final thoughts on this one are: thank you for making terrible life decisions that brought you to this podcast, Scott and Justin. Uh, we absolutely enjoyed this, and we appreciate your knowledge and education, and just horrific CBD dick jokes that meant a lot to us. <laughs> 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 Justin's here for you. Whatever I can do that. In all honesty, yeah, this was a lot of fun. I like talking to other people besides these two. Um, and it's interesting to see a different perspective of the industry. And I, I, I actually enjoyed this, which is more than I can say <laughs> for most episodes that we do. Um, and then I'm blushing. And then uh, I, I'm like, I'm going to throw it out there. How do you guys feel about QR codes? You know, so this last week at CBC, 
everybody was walking up to our uh, booth, and I was saying, hey, do you have a business card? And they would say, no, <laughs> but you can scan my oh, my badge. And then, and then I was saying, well, we don't have a scanner. I'm too so cheap. That's an answer to how we... Yeah, Justin's Justin's too cheap to get the scanner, so that's how we feel about QR codes here in Chillers. No, I feel like you're sterilizing somebody when you scan them. You like you're you're trying to yes you're you're implanting them with the chip so you can track them or something. I don't I don't like it. You sound like you spent no time He actually, I don't know if you know this, I could send you a picture, but he has a um, tinfoil hat on at all times. No, personally, I didn't, I didn't, I I don't, I I like to just be able to get a business card. And if you don't have a business card or you don't want to write your email down or give me a phone number, then, you know, we can talk later, I guess. I I honestly didn't think that the QR code question was going to be such a hot button topic. You know, literally just, (laughs) uh, yeah, I don't, I didn't, I didn't even know what the hell it was. Uh, Scott, I do have an actual question. Which brewery did you work at in Eugene, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, so I worked at Falling Sky. Okay. Zeno yeah. and I are both yeah. uh, OSU we had grads, very... so obviously you are yeah. the enemy. Oh. We, have, we have put that aside. Yeah. yeah, you guys are oh. definitely the enemy. Whatever, you hippie piece of shit. <laughs> I mean, I have long hair and whatnot so okay you're maybe not too far off base socialist leanings whatever but. i guess my final thought would be you know you guys are a sponsor but one of the reasons we even reached out to see if you wanted to sponsor us is you have helped you know corsair personally and then a bunch of people that Zeno and i have you know helped contract and consult for out of some very tight jams that you know, we we all brought up the, you know, we undersized our chiller. What the hell do we do now? Nightmare scenario, because you guys have helped us out with that more than once. Uh, so I just want to say thank you for <laughs> one listening to us babble for an hour, but also yeah, and you know, for supporting the industry that does mean a lot. And actually, I should have, for transparency's sake, I should have yeah. said at the beginning, G and D also sponsors Artist and Spirit magazine, so. In terms of sellouts, I absolutely beat out Zeno like tenfold. So <laughs> your number is much lower. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> My final thought would be, you know, exactly what we're doing right now is like, or you ask, you know, what would we be doing if we weren't doing this? And I would say, you know, being able to be in an industry that we get to have literally fun. Like, I mean, there's fun like meeting people and getting to be friends with people not just like selling them shit and taking their money but like and i'm not saying that as a salesy thing i mean it's 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 it it's so much more fun to have the passion and want to have uh, a good time and joke around and and actually you know guys that we might not even have personally met but be able to just talk to and have fun so yeah i mean and and learn and and make money awesome. at the same time it's it's good Good thanks deal. guys yeah thanks well, for having thank us. you guys yeah no seriously it's been a blast i gotta wash i gotta wash up you can clean off the CD, cbd but you cannot wash off the shame all right love you dummies <laughs>